I'm very excited about this message. By the way, it's good to be back with you uh, vacationing, you know, and you just got to know that in that group, that vacation, there were two little girls that just made the entire week spectacular. Uh, Kinley, who's three now, and Landry, who's a year and a half. They got a little brother. It's coming along in the first part of November, and what a wonderful time that that was. I think it's important, especially on the beginning of this talk that I'm about to share with you, that God has put on my heart for you. I think it's important for you to know the way that I think. This is philosophically how I think in regards to our church. I think when people come to church, they need to be challenged. I think when people come to church, they ought to feel an element of conviction. But I do not think that people need to leave church feeling beat up. I think people need to be encouraged because I think life is tough. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think life is tough. I think it can be real tough. And some of you are saying, you know, I'm with you, Pastor Jeff. I've had a tough week. I've had a tough month, had a tough year. Some of you would say, hey, what are you talking about year? I've had a tough life. And I just want you to be encouraged today. When you leave here today, this is what I want you to know, how special and important you are in the eyes of the one that created you. Now, last year, about this time, I had no idea. I knew that my son, it was about, I mean, it was precisely this exact time last summer when, uh, you know, I knew that my son's company uh, was going to be transferring him to the headquarters office in Illinois. Uh, up until that time, I liked that company. I don't like them anymore since, you know, they move my grandbabies to Illinois. And uh, just kidding, still like the company. But I had no idea. And that was very, that was heart-rending uh, for me. I can't even tell you emotionally how that impacted me. And uh, I can remember many, many tears thinking about these precious little girls. We're going to be moving many, many hours away. And certainly we've been able to see them quite often. But when you go from living 2.5 miles down the road to living in Illinois, there's a little bit of difference in distance, wouldn't you say? And I had no idea, so I'm already feeling the weight of that. And then not knowing that just two months later, my dad, at the age of 72, would pass away. He had struggled in his health the last couple of years, but had no idea that he was nearing his death. That was in September. A few months later, my mom, in January, at the age of 70, would pass. And I was thinking about it while I was away at the beach on vacation, and I just sort of said to myself, I was having some time with God, and I was sitting in creation at the beach, and I just said, God, I sure do hope that the next 12 months of my life are not going to be like the last 12 months have been. And this is what I know. I know that God is faithful. And I know that God loves you. And I know that God has a plan for your life. And the, this talk that I want to share with you today, I think you're really going to resonate with because it's about you. And you're saying, well, you know, Pastor Jeff, all of the messages, you know, they intersect with my life, some component. They're all really, you know, talking about my life or my reaction to God. They, they impact. But this one really is because it's, it's going to deal with well, what is your esteem? How do you, how do you value yourself? What do you, what do you think about your life? But more importantly, more than how you see you is how does God see you? And we're going to talk about God's estimate for your life. A number of years ago, I picked up a great book by Kevin Lehman, Dr. Kevin Lehman. And in it, when he's, he's talking about when God created us, he said, remember that you were not put together on overtime at a factory in New Jersey. You were designed, you were crafted, you were molded, and you were sculpted by no less a designer than God himself. And when God birthed you, he he sat back and God smiled and said, this is good. 
He goes on in the next paragraph to say, yeah, you may not have taken the best care of what God gave you. You may have adopted a few habits along the way that don't leave you looking your best, but don't insult your creator by ignoring the wonderful qualities that he has placed in you. Learn to be thankful. And I'm very excited about sharing this with you today because, again, I think it's going to be encouraging to you. And I want to take you to the words of this great apostle. More is written... uh, Uh, from the Apostle Paul than any other New Testament writer aside from what we find in the words of Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 26. And I'm going to read it in the passage. You know, it's all going to sort of run together, but then we're going to break it down. We're going to look at it. We're going to unpack it together. And I think it's going to speak to you brothers. And certainly this would include all genders. But Paul is saying, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And how many of you can say, as I can, thank God for that? God chose weak things. How many of you are glad of that? God chose weak things of the world to shame the strong. Look at the next portion of this. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. I love this next part. It is because of him. Who is him? Him is God. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul is saying, look at all that God has done for you. And if you're going to boast, you make sure that you're boasting about God. And I love what Paul is saying here. And there's a couple of things that he is saying that we just need to grasp and resonate with. And then I'll finish this talk by giving you a couple of things that we need to do on the basis of what Paul has given to us. The first thing that we need to understand is this, that we have, in fact, listen to this now, been chosen by God. You did not nudge your way into the kingdom of God. You did not have to pry your way into the kingdom of God. It is not like God reluctantly opened the door to his kingdom and let you just slide in. The fact of the matter is, friends, you think about this, and this is true for everyone. No one is eliminated from this reality. God chose you. God wanted you. God adopted you into his family. It's a wonderful thing to feel that you're chosen, that you're handpicked by anything. Some of you, I know that uh, Anthony, you know, was a, this uh, wonderful wrestler. I didn't know that uh, Mary Beth was an incredible soccer player. But uh, a lot of us know we, we grew up even before we played more organized sports. We'd play pickup games and things in the neighborhood. And many of you have been a part of the process where there'd be a couple of captains that would be chosen. And they would say, all right, now captains pick. You start choosing. And, and so there'd be a lineup generally of people standing around saying, I hope I get picked early and not late. And, and then one captain would pick, and he'd take the one, uh, him or her, that he wanted most. Or, and, and then the other captain would, and it would be back and forth, back and forth, until everybody had been chosen. Now, how many of you know it's a wonderful thing to be chosen first? How many of you know that it doesn't feel so good to be chosen last? It's almost like saying, hey, we ha- have no other option. You're still standing there, and you haven't gone home yet, so become a part of our team. But when God looked at you, God did not say, you know, I I think, you know, I'm just going to reluctantly give in. When God looked at you, God saw somebody that he wanted to choose. God saw somebody that he wanted to be in his family. 
I love what the writer said, what Paul said, is that God chose the foolish things. God chose the weak things. He chose the lowly things. And I think that that describes most of us quite well. Had we been brilliant, had we been strong, had we been exalted, I doubt that we would have even acknowledged that we needed God. Warren Wiersbe is a great writer, and he has said this. He said, God chose us not because of what we were, but in spite of what we were. And God chose us. And it feels good to be chosen. It feels good to be accepted. It feels good to be loved. It feels good to be adopted. Nobody wants to be chosen last. Nobody wants to be overlooked. Nobody wants to be forgotten reminds me of the man who walked into the office of a psychiatrist one day for his 3 o'clock appointment. As the guy sits down, he quickly says to the psychiatrist, he said, I've got a problem, and my problem is that people seem to ignore me. But even before he could finish his sentence, the psychiatrist gets up out of his chair, walks to the waiting area, and calls out, next, next, you come on in. How many of you know that's a bad day for this guy? It feels good to be chosen. It feels good to be selected, especially by God. Another incredible truth, and I'm going to walk through several things because I want to get you all the way to the end of this talk and what God has given me for you. But another incredible truth from this passage in 1 Corinthians 1 is this. You belong to God. We've already established that because God chose you. But you belong to God because of what Jesus did for you. The A part of verse 30 reads like this. The A part says, you saw it a moment ago, it is because of him, it is because of God that you are now in Christ Jesus. A psychologist by the name of Alfred Adler says it quite well when he remarked, to be human is to feel inferior. And all of us, whether we readily admit it or not, no matter how, what level of confidence we try to portray, all of us at times have felt, maybe even now, have felt inferior. We look at where we've come from. We look at our background. We look at mistakes that we've made. We look at our life, and we just feel like, you know what? There's been so many areas of my life where I've missed it. I wish, I wish things had been different here. I wish things had been, you know, better there. And so a lot of people feel inferior. A lot of people feel downcast. A lot of people feel overlooked. A lot of people are hurting. I don't mind telling you during worship, not only was I enjoying that awesome time of worship with you, but I, I just looked around and I just thought, man, I just, I just love this church. I just love you. And you're, you're so different from one another and you're different from me. And some of you are thinking, thinking, I'm so glad I'm different from you, Jeff. I really, really am. So glad. But I look around and different genders and different ages and skin colors and backgrounds and worship styles. And, and I just think, oh, man, if we could only realize, if we could only realize in the eyes of God how valuable each of us are. In fact, if there was an exercise that we could do in the middle, and certainly I would not do this, but if I were to say on a big board that I had right here, I was to say, here's what I want you to do. Everybody has a marker, and I want you to just walk up on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, being like 1, feeling really, really low and forgotten and forsaken and abandoned, and 10 being like, you know, the best condition you could possibly be in. Uh, you just walk up here one by one, and you just put a number on the board that indicates how you sort of see your own life right now. And I doubt, you know, as I was thinking about that in my brain, I doubt that I would be inundated by many of you who would put eights or nines or tens up on the board. The fact of the matter is, if we were just totally transparent, a lot of us would write much lower numbers. In fact, some of you might would even say, 
hey, is it possible that I can even dip down into, uh, you know, the negative numbers, a negative two, a negative three? I know where you're coming from. Now, you may never struggle with this, and I hope you don't, but I have asked God many, many, many times, and I still do to this day, why, God, why me? Why, God, do you love me? God, why did you choose to redeem me? I know me. And why would God choose to love me? Why would God choose to redeem me? Why would God choose to work through somebody like me? I readily admit and acknowledge that there are myriads of people who are much more gifted than I am, much more people that are a lot more righteous than I am and have a better background and pedigree than I do. And then I once again, and I wake up and I realize that it is not because of my goodness that God chose me, but because of his goodness. And the same is true for you. God didn't choose you because of you. God chose you because of him. He loves you and he cares about you. God loves you so much, the Bible says, that he loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he went to the cross and he spilled blood. That is how much every, every, nobody's admitted. I know what happens sometimes in a, in a moment like this. Some of you play mind games and you're like, Jeff, if you only knew me, if you only knew my story, if you only knew my past, if you only knew the darkness in my life, if you only knew my past sins, you would not. And here's what I'm saying to you. God loves you. God cares about you. God has put a high number of value upon your life. And it's not even because of you. It's because of him. It's how much that he loves you. You're not special just standing alone on yourself. You're special because God has chosen you. Take a look on the screen at what Neil Anderson has written. He said, the more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. And what I'm about to say is what I believe, friends, to the core of my soul. And that is your authentic value as a person, again, as I just mentioned, is not evaluated based on who you are standing alone. It is determined by who you are in Jesus Christ. And please hear me when I tell you that because you are loved by God and because you're redeemed by God, because you now belong to his family, because his spirit now dwells on the inside of you, you are incredible you're incredibly special, so live that way. I, I, don't, I don't know how long it's been since you've heard somebody say this, but based upon not my authority, but on the authority of the Bible, this is what I want you to, you to know, and that is you're special. You're incredible. You're wonderful. And why is that true? Because of what God thinks about you. And can I just tell you this, every one of you, that what God thinks about you is much more important than what you think about you. And sometimes what you think about yourself, you use that to define reality, but sometimes we don't always think straight. It is not what you think about you that matters most. It is what God thinks about you. And this is what I want you to know. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've done it, God is not mad at you. God is mad about you. And he loves you. Loves you so much, he said, Jesus. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to change, and I'll, I'll touch on that in just a moment. But listen, there's a great theologian, Martin Luther, many, many years ago, and he's written this. This is the mystery of the riches of divine grace for sinners. For by a wonderful exchange, our sins are now not ours, but Christ. And Christ's righteousness is not Christ, but now it is ours. 
So the two great truths that we've talked about to this point have been, you have been chosen, each of you purposefully, you have been chosen by God, not accidentally, not because God was forced to, because nobody can force God to do anything. God did it because he loved you, and you belong to God because of what Jesus did for you. Now, stay with me in this 1 Corinthians. I want you to really hang in here in this rest of this passage, because now we're told that there's a couple of things that we must do. It's like God has done this. God has chosen you. You're in Jesus because of what God's done for you. But now this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you are not to just remember what you were. You are to remember, remember what you are becoming. What you are becoming. Has anybody here got it figured out that you are not perfect yet? Anybody got that figured out yet? Anybody feel like me that God still has a lot of work to do? You know this expression, work in progress? How many of you know that your life is a work in progress? I wish that I could, and I've thought about this many, many times before. I became a Christian when I was, I started to say 15 years ago, when I was 15. And that's been longer than 15 years ago, best I can calculate it. I wish in that moment that I had become a Christian, that I could have prayed a prayer that would say, God, let me just right now, as I receive you as the Savior and the leader of my life, now enter into a state of sinless perfection where I'm never going to struggle again. Can I tell you how long I've struggled? Since I was 15. Since I was 15. You say, Jeff, you shouldn't admit it. Why not? I mean, it's the truth. It's the truth. I don't know how it works with you, but this is how it works with me. God started working on the big stuff early in my life because I had a lot of big stuff in my life that needed to be dealt with. And God started working in a way in my life, and, and he started dealing with me, and then it would be like I'd get to a place in my life where I'd, I'd still start, you know, maybe feeling a little proud, maybe feeling, uh, you know, spiritually a little, you know, I, I pray not, but maybe a little spiritual elitism beginning to enter in. And like, you know what? God dealt with me about this big issue. And, you know, by God's grace, it seems that I've got vic- and, and about the time I started feeling that way, you know what God would do? He'd say, Jeff, what about that area of your life? And I'd be like, really? And, and, and God would start working with me about another area, and I'd gain some victory in that, and I'd start feeling pretty good about myself, and God'd say, what about that area? It's, it's like God is saying, Jeff, I, can, I cannot work out all of that in you at one time. You know what sanctification is? It's an eight-cylinder theological word that simply means sanctification is progressively becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Where God says, I'm going to just keep chipping away at your life. I'm just going to keep shaping you. I'm going to keep molding you. I'm going to keep knocking some of the stuff, the rough edges off of your life because I'm getting you. And, and when does it end? I'll, I'll tell you when it ends. When do you want it to end? I'll tell you when. It ends when you die and not before. Because as long as you're breathing air, God's going to be chipping away in your life to form you into what? He wants you to be. And Paul said it in the A part of verse 26. He said, think of what you were. Think of what you were. But also think about what you're becoming. Some time ago, I was doing some, some reading, and I was introduced to what a sociologist, his name, by the way, is George uh, Herbert Mean. He wrote about what he referred to, and I don't know if he coined the expression or, or just repeated it. I think it was original with him. But he refers to the generalized other. 
I want you to listen to this. Hey, you need to give me some of your mental horsepower right here. I want you to be engaged because I want to talk to you about what he meant by this. Generalized other. When Meade said that, this actually refers to the mental representation we carry around inside ourselves of that group of people in whose judgment we measure our success or failure. Let me say it another way. We carry around ourselves... It really matters to us what this, the people that we think most of, of, it really matters to us what they think about us. Our sense of esteem, in this generalized other, hang with me, in this generalized other, our sense of esteem and worth are strongly tied to their appraisal of our worth. Now, again, tracking with me on this. This generalized other, to me, when I think about it, and what Mead was saying here, is quite ironic when you pause and think about it, because it is not really about what others think about us at all. It is what we think others are thinking about us. Are you with me on this? It's not really what they think about us. It is what we think that they're thinking about us. And it can mess with us. And and it reminds me of something I I read some time ago. It it said this, when you're in your 20s, you live to please other people. But then when you get into your 30s, you get tired of trying to please everybody. So you get miffed with them for making you worry about it. And then when you're in your 40s, you realize nobody was thinking about you anyway. But here's the good news. And you need to hear it. God never stops thinking about you. You're always in his sight, and you're always on his mind. Always, always. When you wake up in the morning, God's thinking about you. When when you're eating a meal, God is thinking about you. When you're at work, when you're at school, when you're doing whatever you're doing, when you're driving your car, when you're in the place where you live, when you lay down at night, God is thinking about you. Why? Because you matter. Can I just say it this way? Listen, and this is true for every one of you that are here today. You are a chosen child of a most high God. And you've been adopted into his family. Every single one of you. So God sees you as you were. And God sees us, of course, as we are. But the beauty about God is God also sees what we are becoming. What are you becoming? When you reflect on your life, you go back five, six, ten years. What do you see? What are you becoming? Are you increasingly being sanctified? Are you increasingly, progressively becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Paul said it. You saw it with me here in 1 Corinthians 1. He said, think about you were, what you were. You were this. But then we say, all right, but I know who I am. And some of you, you look at your life right now and you just say, yeah, I know who I am. I know who I am. I know what I've done. But don't get stuck there. Think about what you are becoming. What God is shaping you into becoming. There's one more matter, and I'm running out of time, but I want to deal with this one before we're done. There's one more matter that this 1 Corinthians passage deals with, and that is remember. When you remember, because he's saying, remember what you were, remember what you are becoming. And also, Paul says, remember that when you boast, it should be about God's goodness and not your own. How many of you know that, that when you're thinking about a great quality to aspire after, to go after, the, the characteristic of pride is not one you want to set your sights on? How many of you know that pride is not an attractive thing? It is not an attractive thing. 
you're never going to look at somebody who is very prideful and say, you know what? I hope not. Anyhow, I want to become just like them. You never want to feel like, you know, the quality in life that I'm going for most is to be an egomaniac. It's all about me. It's all about my pride and my egotism. Paul said, in fact, do the opposite. He said, nobody can boast before him. Nobody can boast. And then Paul says, all right, but if you feel the need to boast, I'll tell you how to do it. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Take a look on the screen at what Oswald Sanders has written. He said, pride takes many forms, but spiritual pride is the most grievous. To become proud of spiritual gifts or leadership position is to forget all we have is from God. All the position we occupy is by God's appointment. I want to share with you a story as we get ready to wrap up. It's probably one of my most favorite stories of all. If you've been around me very long or you've been a part of this church or you've heard me share messages over the years, then at some point you have heard me share this story because it is a great, great story. Story is about not the more recent Mayor Daly in Chicago, but the older, older Mayor Daly of Chicago. And he was known for his ability to make unsuitable remarks. You see, he often stumbled in his speeches. And why did Mayor Daly, the old Mayor Daly, stumble in his speeches? It was because he would have somebody else write all of his speeches, different speechwriters. And then, think about this, he would not read it until the moment that he got up to deliver the speech. And when I hear that, it just frightens the daylights out of me because I know how many hours I put into one talk and then I take that one talk and then early on a Sunday morning, I read through it again and again and again to just make sure it's embedded in my mind and my spirit so I can share it the best I can with you. And to think that I would just get up and read something for the very first time. But that was his style, and that's what he did for years and years. But at one time, he had a particular speechwriter on his staff that came into his office one day and he said to Mayor Daly, he said, I need a raise. I want to raise. He said, I've been working for you for many years. I work really hard. I do good work. I want to raise. In fact, I more than want to raise, I need a raise. And Mayor Daly didn't take well to that kind of thing. So he looked back at the guy and he said, I'm not going to give you a raise. In fact, he said, it ought to be enough for you that you work for me. A great, and then he said, that you work for me, a great American hero. You're not getting a raise. It ought to be enough that you have the privilege to work for me. Well, sometime later, Daly's on his way to give a speech. And again, his style was that he'd just stand up and deliver it. Never saw the speech. He'd just see it the day he stands up to deliver it. So he did. This happens to be on Veterans Day, and it's a large veterans group. And he's getting national press coverage, and he's thundering on quite eloquently about his concern for the veterans of this country. He said, and I quote, he said, a lot of people have forgotten you, but I haven't forgotten you. I remember what you've given our nation, and I believe that you need to be taken care of. So I'm outlining today a 17-point proposal for our country, our state, and our cities how to take care of you, our veterans. And at this point, everybody's leaning in. Everybody want to know, wants to know what he's going to say. He's sort of curious himself because he's never seen the speech before. And he flips the page over. And on the next page, all it says is this. You are on your own now, you great American hero. I've got a feeling those 17 points didn't go quite as smoothly as he had hoped. How many of you know God has a way of humbling us if we won't humble ourselves? What should keep us in check as it relates to humility and brokenness before God? It is to go back and remember what we were. Paul said, don't forget you were foolish and you were weak. 
and you were lowly. And without God, you are absolutely nothing. And in God, you're absolutely everything. And it's only because of His grace and mercy that we are what we are. And again, I tell you as we close, you are a chosen child of a most high God. So it's actually not about you or me when you really think about it. I said at the beginning of this talk, it's about you, but it's really not. And it's not about me. It's all about Him. And may we allow Him to be the source of our boasting and our worship and our devotion. God loves you. You're special. Some of you needed to hear that today. Some of you haven't heard it for a long, long time. Some of you grew up hearing that you're never going to be any good. You're never going to amount to anything. Your life is a waste. Many of you have spent your life trying to please other people. You just said, what matters to me is what do they think about me. But it's not what they think about you. It's not what you think about you. It's what God thinks about you. And when God looked at you, he said, I choose you. I want you. Come into my family. You matter to me. Young gold doesn't matter. Come to me. And I'll take what you were, and I'll help you to become what I want you to be. Aren't you glad that God is patient? Aren't you glad that every morning when you wake up, there's a new wave of God's grace that comes pouring into your life? You stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. I'm so glad you came today. I hope that you've heard how much you matter to the God that created you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, everybody, how many of you would just say, you know what? What I heard today, Pastor Jeff, what the Lord led you to share with me today, I needed to hear it. I needed to be reminded that I'm chosen by God. I needed to be reminded of who I am in Jesus. If that's you, you just lift your hand and say, I needed it. I needed to hear it. I needed to be reminded of it. And I need to be reminded that God's not finished with me yet. And that God's bigger than my past. That he's the God of my future. Lord, thank you that you have chosen us. You didn't have to. You wanted to. You wanted to choose us. We thank you today, God, that we're in, we're in Jesus because of you, that you loved us so much, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes, and we believe. And we remember what we were before you found us. And we know what we are now, but we also know what we are becoming. And so, Father, when we boast, we boast about you, that we may spread your love and your grace and your fame throughout all the world, that people, when they hear about our God, will know how wonderful that he is and that he has a plan for their life too. So I pray that we'll leave this place encouraged and strengthened, knowing who we really are and not believe in the lies of other people and not believe in the lies of the evil one, but to know as we leave this place, we are chosen children of a most high God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Let's give Jesus a hand, can we? I love you, everybody. I can't wait to see you right back here next Sunday. See you then.